from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Content warning. This podcast discusses violence, murder, suicide, civil unrest, aggressive policing, racism, and lynching. If you or anyone you know is considering suicide or self-harm or just need to talk about problems, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Previously, on After the Uprising. Did he seem excited about going out that night? Danny said he did. My brother, he said he did. I saw him leave out the door last night because I was sitting in the kitchen. Do you know about what time that was? About 9 o'clock. Got in his car and drove off? No, he didn't leave in the car. That was the thing as well. His car was down. I wish that I had asked him who he was leaving with. Late nights is more of a deja thing. He's set up artists. I would get calls like that Deja. She didn't got me for some more money, and I'm not just one. Probably like five different people. Hello. Hi, is this Deja Jones? Yes, this is her. They do activists very wrong. I did a couple months of jail time. Can you call me back in five minutes? Hello. Hey, is Deja there? Uh, Deja is locked up right now. I'm finna get her out. What? What happened? Don't shoot! 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 Don
what you're looking at is the aftermath of the grand jury deciding not to indict Officer Wilson. A young man found hanging from a tree in October. His mom believes someone murdered her son, targeting him. Donye became an activist in the wake of the shooting death of Michael Brown by a white police officer. That's why Melissa McKinnis wants St. Louis County Police to dig deeper into her son's death. He was not suicidal. This is after the uprising, the death of Donye Dion Jones. This just happened today? Uh, it happened like three days ago. Like, oh, okay, I, I talked to her on, what's that? I talked to her on Wednesday. So did it happen later in the day on Wednesday? Yeah, it happened like Wednesday, like Thursday morning, like three o'clock in the morning. God damn it. Did they, was she out or did they come to the house? Uh, she was out and then they had, well, she had parked. And then they had, uh, when, when she parked, they had pulled her over. Okay. Or whatever, like that. So yeah. Was she just coming home from work? I'm still, I'm still waiting on her to get the clay. No, she was getting her done. She was went, I went to the store to get some of her. I'm waiting on her to get to county now. Deja was in jail, and we still had so much to ask her. So full disclosure, we pitched in one hundred dollars for her bail fund to help get her out. It was no strings attached. Yes, we wanted her free so we could schedule another time to speak with her. But the money we donated wasn't conditional. A few days later, we spoke to Deja briefly. She was getting ready to go to work, and she couldn't stay on the phone long. So we just asked why she'd been arrested. Basically, in 2017, I was charged with something that I wasn't even doing. I was at work, actually. And ever since then, I've just been struggling trying to get past it. And they charged a lot of lost voices with this charge. You told me before they tried to charge you with arson. Was that the was that the thing? Yeah. Apparently, Deja ran to a store to grab hair products and was pulled over when she got back to her apartment complex. I was getting my hair braided and I was like, "Okay, do I really want to go?" And so I was like, "All right, let's go." So we went all the way. I made it all the way home. Like I literally got back in my parking space. So I was literally at home, and I turned my car off and everything, and I was about to get out the car, and he, like, sang it out, and he was just like, well, you were speeding. And I was like, okay, and what was my speed if I was speeding? Because if I was speeding, you would know the speed I was going. But if he just walked away, came into the car, and was just like, get out. And I was like, why would you going to arrest me? And he was like, yeah. Deja claimed the officer who arrested her told her she was speeding and then apparently claimed she had a probation violation, so he arrested her. We arranged another time to talk, and when we got back on the phone a few days later, we didn't want to waste any time. The last time I talked to you, we were talking about a lot of the early days of Lost Voices and all that, and you were yeah. you mentioned how there had been this thing at a church where someone was live-streaming and... Uh, and that guy ended up getting like thrown out of the church. That guy, his name was Chris Schaefer. And uh, one of the people who ended up getting arrested for that later was Melissa McKinney's. Do you have an opinion of her? Back in that time, she was actually very, very strong, even though she was sick. 
she generally came out to help us and we kind of made her one of us because of the way that she treated everyone. She was a really good good person. Like she had a very good heart and that's why I didn't understand how the police got her mixed up with all of that. Like I believe they were just really out for everyone that was in the lost voices. They tried to charge me but they didn't give me because I had told them like, look, I wasn't even in the state. I wasn't even there. So they had to drop the charges and everything with me as well. But Melissa, she was really sweet. Like I said, she was a really good frontliner. We've spoken to Melissa a bit and she, you know, obviously her son Danye passed yeah. away last year under right. under certain circumstances that are pretty uh you know, pretty sad. And she, I'm sure you know, she does not believe that he took his own life. Um, no. Is this something you've heard about at all, like people talking about? Um. Well, I don't know if you know, but Diane was my ex-boyfriend. How long did you date him? Oh, I was dating him forever, about three, four years. We actually were getting back together around the time that he passed away. My life changed dramatically when he passed away. He was like everything to me. And like, that's why I can't believe that he did take his own life as well. Like, Danye, he was a real good dude. Like members of Danye's family, Daisha didn't believe Danye was suicidal or that he would have hurt himself. Danye was never suicidal, to be honest. He never thought about harming himself. That's one thing that I knew about Daye. Like, I would see Daye getting into it with someone before taking his own life. That's what threw me off. I don't, I still don't believe he took his own life. Like, we were each other's counselors. <laughs> I would talk to him about things and he would talk to me about things. Like, he helped me through school. He helped me through a lot of things because I didn't have a mom or dad, so it was just like he was there for me. I would always be like, are you okay? Everything fine? And he would just be like, yeah, you know, everything's okay. And like I said, he was doing it fine house and stuff. I thought, like I said, I thought everything was fine. Like, it, it, it took a twist, like I said, but it just didn't make any sense. It didn't. We asked Deja. When was the last time she had spoken with Danye? Two days before he passed away, he called me very disturbed. He was just like, you know, there's rumors going around. And I'm just like, what rumors? He was just like, there's rumors going around saying that I I like boys and things like that. I'm like, Danye, really? And he was like, no, it's just like, it's really bothering me. Like, who's going around saying this? So I asked him, I was like, so how did you hear about it? And he says, well, I was working on my car and a couple guys just walked past me and was just like, oh, he gay. So I was just like, hey, Naya, you can't let, you know, people get to you. Like, it's a lot of things people say about me. I don't let it get to me, you know? I was like, you know you're not gay or anything like that. I mean, but if you were, I mean, it, it, you know, that's just your choice. But I know you're not. <laughs> We've been here for so long, so I know for a fact that you're not. 
So he was just like, okay, I really need to hear that. Then he said he was going to call me back. So a couple days after that, I got a phone call at 10 a.m. saying that they found him in the back hanging. And I was like, what? I really thought it was a joke. I'm like, what's going on? Like, are y'all just playing? Like, for real? Like, he's gone? Like, not living no more? So, Deja confirms that Danye was aware that there was a rumor that he was gay and that it bothered him. How much it bothered him or in what way is up for interpretation. It was clear that Danye was very important to Deja. It changed my life a lot. Like, and it wasn't like he changed it for the better. I have been going through so much since he's been gone. When he was alive, I was in college. I was happy, I was doing things, and it was just like, his death really affected me. I had dropped out of college, so I guess he was like, my encouragement, I don't know. He encouraged me a lot to, to do a lot. Sorry. After giving her a moment, we wanted to clarify if the phone call they had two days before his death was actually the last time Deja spoke with Danye. Yeah, two days before he was found in the backyard. I I don't know. Like to be honest, like Melissa, like you asked me at the beginning, she was really nice. But when me and Danye were talking, like she was not as sweet to him. Like he was going through a lot with his mom. Him and his mom really didn't get along. She barely helped him with anything. This was interesting. Deja was the first person to tell us that Melissa and Danye's relationship was strained. The way she is now trying to make it seem like she really cared is killing me because she didn't. Me and Danye, we were homeless for a while until we got an apartment. Like, his mom was not who I thought she would be. I, I don't know me talking to him changed the fact of how her relationship with him was because I don't know before me and him were talking, but during, she wasn't supportive at all. We were doing everything on our own. We were going to protests, we were traveling. And so, like, that's probably why I'm just so distant from everyone. Because there's so much fakeness going on. I just don't understand. Like, I'm not saying she didn't love him, but she just, she wasn't there. Like, she Deja is telling us that Melissa and Danye weren't as close as Melissa suggests. And Deja even acknowledges here that perhaps it was dating her that upset Melissa and made her distant from her son. When she spoke to us, Melissa said that she did not want Danye dating Deja. Deja went on to tell us that right before Danye died, he and Melissa weren't speaking. They weren't talking. Like, she blocked his number from her phone and everything. Even though he was living in her house, they weren't, they weren't having words with each other. They weren't to it. So that's why she was crying so much and going on this because she didn't even get to say anything to him. Like, I went over there maybe two nights. I only spent the night twice. 
And like, she was mad about that. I stopped going over there and we were just talking on the phone. I asked his cousin what was going on. And she just like, and then his mom just had a little words, but I never could get what they were into it for. So again, Deja claims that when Danye died, he and Melissa were not on speaking terms. We asked Melissa about this. We got into it a few weeks before that. He went to my, my mom's house, and he came right back. Mom, can I come back? Cause I, I, what, what, what we got into about, I, I'm sorry, I apologize. And I was like, yeah, but I was trying to be like tough about it. I was like, yeah. He was smelling so good. He had a suit on. He had a fresh lining. I he smelled good. I was like, I was like, he was wooing me like he got me. I'm like, mm-hmm. so that's how he gets these girls. You know, it was like that. So I'm like, yeah. He smiled. He said, I love you. And I'm like, okay, I love you too. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. There were several things that Melissa and Deja seemed to disagree about, but most of them revolved around Danye's relationships with both of them. Deja implied that Melissa and Danye weren't as close as maybe Melissa was presenting. Deja told us that earlier in the relationship, Danye had wanted to get married. Then she told us that Danye had been trying to reignite a relationship with her before he died. He was that the person where he wanted to get married like right away off the flip. I didn't want to do that. 
And I guess it kind of bothered him. I was young. Like I told him, I was like, I'm trying to get my life together right now. And marriage is, we, we can't afford that right now. I mean, that's good. I'm glad that you want to do that, but can't afford that. Like I said, we had a relationship on and off forever. So I'll just say, like, he was just like a, bit, a good friend. Mm-hmm. Like the end of the relationship that we had, he was just like a really good friend. Like I said, he was trying to get back on good terms with me and things like that, but I wasn't. Mm-mm. I was like, no, I didn't want to mess with anything he had going either. So I was just like, no, you're not going to play this game on more. We could be friends. It'd be cool. We told Melissa and Malisha that Deja said to us that Danye was trying to get back together with her right before he died. They both thought this was less than true. I, that was the opposite. You think that was yeah? No, well, I know it's the opposite like because they got down and talked. Yes, Deja. Oh yeah, that's he opposite. sat down and talked to me about it. Like, like I said, like when he was sick, about two or three days prior to it happening. No, he wasn't. Yeah, that's the complete opposite. Seriously. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if, she, if she can hear me, I would tell her. Deja told us that Danye did want to be married and have a family and stuff like Without that. that was, I mean, she says that he had, like, mentioned it to her, and she was just like, no, we're not there yet. He just wanted to be married. He wanted he, a baby. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. He just wanted, he really wanted a child. His ex-girlfriend, she was pregnant with his baby at, at first. Loretha? Loretha did get pregnant with his baby. Yes, but okay. she lost it. This miscarriage happened over a year before Danye's death, so it probably wasn't something weighing on his mind right before he died. Also, Deja told us he was not excited when Loretha got pregnant. He called me and was like, I'm going through it. I think I got a girl pregnant. And I was just like, oh, wow, that's good. Ain't you happy? And he was like, no, I didn't want her to get pregnant. And he wasn't happy about that one. He's like, I got a crazy baby mom now. I'm like, you don't even know yet. Calm down. So we have some back and forth here. Melissa says Danye wanted a baby. Deja says he wasn't excited when Loretha was pregnant. Melissa says Danye wanted to marry Loretha. Deja says that Danye called Loretha crazy, which, I guess to be fair, doesn't mean he wouldn't want to marry her. Deja says Melissa and Danye were going through a rough patch before he died. And Melissa, ironically enough, said that Deja and Danye had actually not been speaking until only right before his death. They hadn't spoken in a while because they were into it for a while. So all of a sudden when I saw her pull up, I'm like, no. Something else that seemed to really bother Danye's siblings, both Melisha and Javon, was that they thought Deja was faking her crying when she was at their house for a candlelight vigil right after Danye died. She had brought her daughter there, and we was on the patio just talking, talking about memories about Danye. And um, she she gets, she tried to talk whatever, and I guess I break out crying. No, I break out crying, and she started trying to act like she was crying too. She was fake crying. But she showed up on the day of. The day of, mm-hmm. like the when they were still in the backyard after yeah. everybody and stuff, she came and falls fell to the ground because she was crying. But I knew for sure she was fake crying. Was in the patio. Why it didn't feel, feel genuine. It didn't feel genuine at all. Well, like, what about it didn't feel genuine? The fake cry. That's the fake cry. 
No, but I mean, like, how, like, was it? Like, I think I know her. She's was it like real her. obvious that it was it's fake? Very obvious. As soon as she walked out the house, I seen her face. She and I was sitting in my car, and she walked the house, walked through the grass, and then she got to end her way. She was fine. Yeah, she killed fake crime. She didn't come to the funeral. We should acknowledge that we all do grieve differently. Sometimes our tears explode from our faces and then just stop. And why Deja didn't go to Danye's funeral, I don't know. There could be a lot of very legitimate reasons. For what it's worth, at least insofar as the morning of Danye's death is concerned, Deja describes herself as having just been in a daze. And I went over to his mom's house. I went right over there, and when I got there, she was crying. Everybody was crying. So I really I just stood there and kind of blanked out. Melissa seemed to be under the impression that Deja had become aware of the fact that Danye was reconnecting with Loretha and that this made Deja jealous. Deja said Danye was trying to rekindle romance with her, but that she was the one who was not interested in a relationship. Really, who knows? Apparently, Danye was very open with his family and talked about his relationships, but maybe he didn't say everything. Maybe with some things, he was more open and honest with Deja. Obviously, we cannot know what was going through the mind of a man who is no longer here to speak for himself. But I think it's fair to say that, for many of us, we are never 100% honest with our loved ones. Sometimes it's to protect them. We hide things from them to spare them grief or pain. And sometimes, we have others close to us who we open up to more completely. Was Danye's relationship with Melissa strained when he died? Was he trying to get back together with Deja? Or was Deja twisting things around? In the end, what mattered to us was who Danye was with the night he died, or at least who he was trying to see. So we dialed in on that question for Deja. The night he died, he seemingly left the house around 9.30 or 10. And according to like a medical expert, it seems like he probably didn't die till earlier in the morning. So there's probably this period of time in there when he left the house and went somewhere but his car wasn't working at the time and he didn't have a jacket it seems as though it's someone probably picked him up would be my guess um and that's what i thought and that he and it wasn't me do who would he do did he mention anyone like uh, that he was he did you know if he was seeing another girl at that time only girl that i think about was the one that was supposed to be pregnant so, Loretha, who only answered one of our emails and who didn't specifically say if she and Danye had plans the night he died, that is, if Deja was being honest, getting into Danye's phone would probably be the best way to solve this. I talked to his sister. She seems to be under the impression that you might know the passcode to Danye's phone. Is that true? I have a, a clue what his passcode might be, yeah. Is that something you'd be willing to tell me? Because if we could open up his phone, we might be able to explore more of like what he was looking at in the last couple days before he died, and it might be something that helps So you're settlers. telling me that no one got his phone open? No one has gotten his phone open yet. And there is... Oh my God. It's been a whole year. No one has asked me. 
He changes how he do it. Like, if he has a six-digit code, he uses different numbers. He has a four-digit code, he uses a different number. Could you give me he what me. your guesses would be for a four and for a six? And then okay. I will try them. So, for the four, for the, for the four it would be seven, five, Deja gave us some guesses at passcodes. By the time we were having this conversation, Danya had been dead for ten months. She wasn't terribly confident that she remembered the codes, and she suggested, rightly so, that someone should have asked her sooner. From these first conversations we had with her, Deja seemed nice, and she did give us a lot of good insight into who Danye was as a person. Before we ended the call, we asked if there was anything else Deja could think of that may have been weighing on Danye. He was just really tired of his mom being sick, I mean, he always was, like, very concerned about his mom because her health wasn't good at all. And that was, like, one of his major things, like, his mom's health. He really was beaten up about that. Like, we went to a lot of her doctor's appointments. Like, he was the only son that made sure he went to a doctor's appointment. He didn't play about that. So I think he really wanted the love from his mom but it was just kind of hard sometimes. Cause Diane, he did have a hard head. He was hard head. He didn't like to get help. <laughs> that was his main thing. Like he hated getting help from somebody. Like when I say he hated it, he hated getting help. He wouldn't even let you see him cry or break or anything like that. So very, very guarded, emotionally guarded. He was. Yeah, very emotionally guarded. Like, he like would, I said, I had to literally force everything out of him. Like, what is going on? Talk to me. What do you miss about him the most? Uh, his laugh. He's funny. He had a funny laugh. Yeah. I, I had just left um, the Ferguson market because we had been at the Ferguson market for, it was a 30-day, 30 30-night 30 shutdown. And so that this was night, the place that Mike Brown Jr. had last been before he was walking home? Right, yeah. You know, I promised Mike Brown Sr. that I would keep people out there. And so we had been doing that for like 30 days or something like that. And it was probably around 1 o'clock in the morning. We, we we were leaving, going down West Florissant, and I saw some guys running, and then I saw him. We were about to head to St. Louis for the fifth anniversary of the killing of Mike Brown Jr. Every year, the community held an event at the location where he died to commemorate Mike's life and to continue to pressure the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office to reopen the case and to indict Officer Darren Wilson. The year before, for the fourth anniversary, Melissa told us the activists had been keeping an all-day, all-night presence outside the Ferguson market. And one night, right after she left, she witnessed something awful. I was on my way home from work, and I was at the Metro bus stop. Some guys, three guys, they went in the store across the street from me, and I seen them go in, I seen them leave out. And, like, about 2.2 seconds, I just know that they was all three behind me. I got hit with a gun. 
This is Kaywin. And they was telling me to go with them somewhere, and they was taking my stuff out of my pocket. And then next thing you know, I was shot in the back. When I got shot, I couldn't run or nothing no more. So I started crawling. And the guy tried to shoot me in the head. But at this time, I had turned over. And when he took off running, that's when Melissa got off the car. And, like, they was right there to where they could have still shot her as well. But she didn't care. She got out the car and made sure I was okay. She was very calm. She asked me. I told her. She asked me what happened. I told her I just got shot. And she literally turned to the right and looked and said, did those guys right there do it? That's how close they were. And I was like, yes, they just shot me. The street was completely empty except for her. The guys could have turned around and did anything to her about her being a female. But she didn't. That wasn't. She wasn't thinking about that at the time. She was trying to make sure I was okay. I was just thinking that this is a a boy and he died. I honestly didn't think that he was going to make it, you know. He kept looking um, like he was going to pass out? Yeah, I kept trying to, I kept waking him up, waking him up. Come on, you got to stay up. And then once I said, um, I just, what I remember is I kept saying, come on, sweetheart. Come on, baby, wake up, wake up. What's your name? What's your name? And he was trying to tell me his name. And he started shutting his eyes. I said, no, 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 no. I said, listen, listen, listen. My son, I would have a fit if it was him laying on the ground here. I said, where's your mother? Where's your mom? And I don't remember how I even got her on the phone, but I got her on the phone, and she was screaming and crying, and I was trying to calm her down and let her know that even though I didn't think that he would be okay, but I was just trying to keep her calm. And I was telling her where we were. And I said, I'm not going to leave him. You know, I said, I'm not going to leave him. I'm staying right here. You know, if they come back, they're going to have to get both of me, all of us. I said, but I'm here. I'm I'm not leaving until the police gets here. I had called my mom on my own because after I had got shot, I had called my mom. As I was feeling myself going in and out, I asked her to talk to my mom for me. And as she was talking to mom, she was keeping me up at the same time. She was keeping me up, and she was talking to my mom and talking to the officers and everything as I was going in and out. How thorough did the investigation seem? What was your interaction with the Ferguson police? Like, the crazy thing is, okay, there's a streetcar, Highmont, and West Florida. Now, the simple fact that I was on the left side of the streetlight, they, I was in Ferguson Department. If I was on the right side of the streetlight, it would have been St. Louis County. Okay, so they found this shirt on the scene. When the guys took off their shirt after they shot me, somebody lost their hat. And on top of that, I told you, they came out the store. Ferguson had DNA. They could have got the cameras from the store, but yet nobody was caught. My case went cold. They told me they picked up one of the guys on another charge and that they were sending my case to the prosecutor's office. And I literally never heard nothing back from them. Called Officer Michael Beebe for about a good month or so straight, and he was on vacation. I honestly just gave up on him because I'm not going to lie. I know that Ferguson Police Department is not the right way to be, especially after the Mike Brown situation. The bullets have fingerprints on them. They got one of the guys' DNA and my DNA off one off the shirt, and it was like just no arrest made. And I did the lineup, picked out the guy, 
Well, one of the guys, because it was three of them, I picked out the one that actually shot me. And it was like nobody got caught. And it just... I mean, does that leave you feeling, like, unsafe? Now I'm 21, and I can conceal and carry. Hmm. So I'm not really... I just... I don't be out as much as I used to. And of course, that's because I'm in a wheelchair, but... Kaywin was paralyzed that night when he was shot in the back. He credits Melissa with saving his life, and he expresses just how grateful he is that she selflessly ran to his side as he was bleeding out in the street. Melissa believes that she would have kept up with him and his family to see how he progressed, but two months after Kaywin's shooting, Danye died. All of that happened in the wake of the four-year anniversary of Mike Brown's death, and now the five-year anniversary was upon us. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Melissa wasn't sure at first if she was going to attend the memorial event on Canfield Drive, as she was still dealing with the weight of Donye's passing. But as part of the event, the Ferguson frontline protesters were going to be honored for the time they spent fighting for justice for Mike Brown. So we attended the memorial to meet up with Melissa and to bring her the passcodes that Deja had given to us so we could try them on Donye's phone. A few hundred people gathered for the event, which featured music and poetry, there were speeches and chants, and then the moment Melissa was asked to attend for. This year, the fifth annual 
the Ferguson frontliners. In the midnight hour, tear gas and mace, this year we dedicate this fifth memorial to you, the Ferguson frontliners. Then there was a moment we didn't expect. Yeah, this ain't no TV show. This is real life. Since five years, Edward Crawford Jr. say no justice, no peace. No justice. Was murdered here. A speaker went through the list of so-called Ferguson mystery deaths. She started by naming Edward Crawford Jr., who we explained all the way back in episode one, likely died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, whether intentional or not based on the fact that when he died, he was in the back seat of a car his sister was driving. Is DeAndre? Joshua was murdered here. Say no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. My brother Darren Seals was murdered here. Say no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Basim Basri, I'm sorry, was murdered here. Say no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. DeAndre Joshua and Darren Seals, if you remember, were murdered, and the cars their bodies were found in were set on fire. Bassam Masri was a Palestinian-American activist who had been very active in Ferguson. He died the month after Danye, in November 2018. Bassam was riding a city bus when he passed away from heart failure. A toxicology report showed that he had fentanyl in his system, and he was public about his struggle with heroin addiction, so it's very likely his death was accidental. Donye Jones was murdered here, say no justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. These were frontline activists. There's a problem in Ferguson. For them to continue to kill us that stood up for injustice. We ain't going nowhere, but there's a problem. Something about all of the names being read together, to a crowd that knew and loved these people, with the emphatic statement that they were all murdered, when some were not, was really interesting. Surely, those who knew Edward Crawford Jr. and Bassam Masri intimately knew there was more to their deaths than was being said. But maybe it was beside the point how these young men had all died. Whether they were shot by a police officer like Mike, or by a gang member, as was hypothesized for Darren, whether they took their own life with a gun, like Edward, or whether it was taken by a chemical, like Bossom. Every single one of these deaths was tragic and had at its root life in St. Louis. Life for these young men was a struggle. They had to navigate so many intersecting worlds, so many expectations of different people, all pulling them to be something different from moment to moment. We were reminded of the words of ta Coates, who writes in Between the World and Me that all our phrasing, race relations, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy, serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience, that it dislodges brains, blocks airways, rips muscle, extracts organs, cracks bones, breaks teeth, 
You must never look away from this. You must always remember the sociology, the history, the economics, the graphs, the charts. The regressions all land with great violence upon the body. This sentiment was made all the more real as we walked down Canfield Drive and encountered Dornella Connor. What I heard was he was an undercover, so I don't even know who the one that shot me. She talked to us about how, during the Ferguson Uprising, she was shot in the head by an officer with a less-than-lethal round while in the passenger seat of her boyfriend's car. They blaming on my daughter's uh, father and saying that he was trying to hit off a cop. That's the reason why they shot me, but it wasn't true. Dornella and her boyfriend at the time weren't protesting. They were driving to a gas station when an armored vehicle blocked their path. Her boyfriend, who was driving, was trying to maneuver the car into the gas station when officers began firing at their car. Yeah, I passed out. And you woke up in the hospital? Yeah. Okay, how long, how long were you out? Uh, I was out for three days. Okay. Yeah. And you were pregnant at the time? Yeah, I was pregnant. Don't worry. Dornella's baby is okay. Dornella, however, is now blind in her left eye. We walked down West Florissant. Ferguson police were posted on the block. In a parking lot not far from the Ferguson Market, the store where Mike Brown Jr. had left before being killed, people had set up booths and stalls, some selling food, some selling books, some registering people to vote. Several members of the Lost Voices were there. We met Cheyenne Green in person, and she still is very involved in local activism. We saw Dante Carter walking along the road with a big cardboard sign, getting passing cars to honk. Meldon Moffat, one of the Lost Voices members who, like Melissa, was older than the rest, spoke with us for almost an hour. He was emphatic that after all the protests, nothing in Ferguson had changed. Nothing's changed. When I say nothing's changed, nothing has changed. When they see us, they see animals. That's what they see. Let's go tame this animal. Let's go patrol the community so we can get these animals under control. That's how they look at us. Meldon quickly touched on the same themes that Deja had. And I'm telling you all, if you all ever do any other interview with any of other activists or protesters, I guarantee you're going to say the same thing I'm about to say. No protester or activist that's been out here has really got their life back on track since this has, you know, since after five years. None of us. We all still trying to get back. And it's been hard. And we also have to hide, too. Now that it died down, we all were living in hiding. We had to. They were on us. It was clear that many of the people who participated in the uprising in St. Louis were traumatized in a variety of ways. They had paid and were paying a heavy toll to try to change their world for the better. They locked every last one of us up for something they could make up. I'm the one that got locked up more than any of these people out here. I got locked up six times. Manner of walking. What the hell is that? Then they got, um, they got a bunch of, they got Deja, they got, they even had a bug, cause they even got them on some, they tried to even put Melissa and uh, bug, cause in a, in a, um, a robbery that they, they had nothing to do with us. Meldon knew Melissa and her family, so we asked him about her and about Danye. When I, when I met her, I saw her on South Florida, and once we got to, you know, protesting all the time, seeing each other, we just became a, became one and we stood out here and we fought hard. She fought hard, I fought hard. There's nothing that woman wouldn't do to, to get justice for whoever child it was. That woman has more heart than most of the men you see out here that's supposed to have been out here. But when I found out about her son 
it broke my heart because I know him personally, and she can tell you that I know her son, both of her sons and her daughter. And it broke my heart to find out that this man was hung. Can you tell us uh, about Danye, like your impression of Danye as a, as a man? To be honest, I'm going to be honest, he was real quiet. He didn't say much. That's all I can say about it. He was no, he didn't seem, he seemed like he had some things going on that he needed to get out. What it was, I didn't know. But from my recollection, it was, I, 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 could, I could sense it may have been some, had something to do with his mom's and the illness that she's dealing with. It seemed like there was something Meldon wanted to tell us, and after pausing, he opened up. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think he was killed. I think he did that on his own. It was just too much evidence that I heard. And I just just know how to think. And you put stuff together, and you're like, if... What'd you hear? This is what I was told. When they found him hanging, there was a cheater there they did an autopsy and this is where I went at they did an autopsy no signs of a struggle no scars no nothing if you finish someone's trying to hang you just listen to what I'm saying y'all someone's trying to hang you you're going to fight you're going to end up with some type of scars or bruises somewhere that man had nothing if a cheer was found no bruises no nothing my son killed himself and she don't want me to tell her that but I didn't do so because I don't want to make her think like I'm trying to be against her because I'm not. But all honesty, her son killed himself. Meldon wasn't the only person that day who told us they believed Danye died by suicide. A couple other people who wanted to remain anonymous told us they didn't believe he was murdered for basically the same reasons. They would note the chair found near the tree where Danye was hanged. They would point out that his body didn't have any wounds on it and they would mention that Danye was kind of a quiet guy. Over the course of our time looking into his death, people would describe Danye differently based on how close they were to him, which doesn't seem strange at all. People acquainted with Danye would say that he was quiet or introverted, while those who knew him well would describe him as very funny and goofy. But Melton and these other individuals were right. It is possible that Danye died by suicide. While up to this point we did feel that the investigation into his death was lacking and that there did seem to be some odd reasoning on the part of St. Louis County regarding certain details, we hadn't yet found anything incontrovertible that would flip the narrative on its head. We hoped desperately that getting into Danye's phone would lead us to some new insight or contact that would help us nail down what happened to him definitively, regardless of outcome. And now... We had the handful of passcodes that Deja had given us. So we left the memorial events and met Melissa at the Starbucks in Ferguson so we could sit down and see if one of those passcodes would work. That's next time on After the Uprising. After the Uprising is directed, produced, investigated, written, and reported by myself, Rayno Vyshelsky, and John Duffy. John Duffy was also the editor. Dave Cassidy was producer. Sound engineering, design, and mix by Josh Condon. Executive producers were Matt McDonough and Tina Xeros for Now This, Brett Kushner for Group 9 Media, and Jess Borave was executive in charge of production. Jonathan Hartwig and Bradley Rayford were consulting producers. Eliza Craig was assistant producer and did additional reporting. Mallory Kenoy was a writer's assistant. Kristen McVicker and Taya Wilson were production assistants. And Haley Klesmer was a post-production assistant. Fact-checking by Allison Humes. Theme song and other music by Zachary Walter. Legal by Keith Sklar and Peter Yazzie. 
Special thanks to Anne Frado, Danny Gonzalez, Barbara Koppel, Alex Lester, Bethann Macaluso, Emily Marinoff, Ruth Vaca, and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. After the Uprising is a production of Double Asterisk, iHeartMedia, and Now This in association with True Stories. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have useful information about the death of Donye Jones or anything we've covered, please leave a message on our tip line at 347-674-7401. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.